Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome, everyone, to the Cultaholic Classic Raw Review. You see, whilst the other Cultaholic lads are making videos that are chronologicking, chronologicaling, that word that ends with the killing, the amazing careers of some of wrestling's finest, which you can watch on the Cultaholic YouTube channel, BTW. We are here via our Iger Pro Power DeLorean back in 1993, asking questions such as... What happened to Rich Myers? And who's the executioner this week? And seriously, how much money did Tony DeVito owe Mr. Perfect? We'll explain these and more as we go along. And who be we? I be fake Geordie, radio presenter, annoying wrestling type Tom Campbell, manager of Mickey the Dragon, more on that another time. I am here with the bear in the big blue bar cage, the man who you can... You could hand him a pencil. You could buy him an entire stationery store full of pencils. You could go on a raid in a town in America and break into a, a staple store or an office depot, take all the pencils and give them all to Justin. And Justin will, will shatter them with one hand in front of your face because he doesn't need a pencil even though he's cultaholic's head pencil give him a pen because he gets it right every time i've told you his name it's justin henry from off of america and how's it going there tommy it is going great i'm sad that we didn't get to play playstation on saturday night and i hope you fixed your playstation now oh it it was a very complex issue. Um, this was made so more complex, funny. But, I think you okay, need to tell is... the story what happened. It was Saturday night. I see, you know, I have Tom's gamer tag on PlayStation 4, and we both have uh, WB2K19. And I, and I thought, what the hell? Let's uh, you know, give Tom a ring. We'll play a few rounds of uh, WB2K where I can be either a row of the War Raiders or I can be my created uh, Whale of Mercy that I have on there. What? What? Well, okay. I want to just quickly break in the story. You have a you have a Whale of Mercy on your two K nineteen. Yeah, I downloaded them. Somebody made them for me. I need to tell me where to get this from because I want to play as Whale of Mercy. Thank you, please. Just go on Community Creations and search Whale of Mercy. It's He's not hard, there. Jesus. <laughs> I just thought you might have a really good one because sometimes you'll do that and you'll get like a hundred. Like I downloaded, I, I wanted to download it at Jordan Grace. The other day, and about forty-eight of them make her look like a potato. But there's one really good one, but it's really far down. And I just thought if you could save me some time, I don't know how many people have bothered to make Whale and Mercy on two K nineteen. 
I don't know, I downloaded them three months ago. I can't remember who made them. But anyway. So anyway, we, 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 we go by the by. So I have this rather old Olivia television here. It's about 11 years old. It, it's, it is very trusty, though. I turn the PlayStation on. Screen doesn't change. And I'm just... What the... And, 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 and the uh, it has the blue light on the PlayStation when it, when it first comes on. So I Google PlayStation 4 blue light. And then autofills blue light of death. And I'm getting messages from you saying, this was working last night. WTF. Dude, I think my system just died. Which is the lesser known sequel to Dude, Where's My Car? Exactly. <laughs> I'm getting a blinking blue so, light and then it turns white. Yeah, I think it's dead. Damn. Lol, was not expecting this. So it's all going wrong so, on your planet. Uh, it certainly is. And I'm watching YouTube tutorials. I'm pulling plugs out of this thing. I'm pulling the disc out to make sure that it doesn't eat my disc. <laughs> and I'm just like, I've just had enough of this. I'm like, you know what? Maybe three years of the shelf life for these things. I quite like the balance go- of the universe on Saturday night whilst... I was lay in a supine position, to quote Mario Ronaldo, in a supine position, watching mm. Rick and Morty. You were about to throw a PlayStation out of the window in sheer rage. That's kind of like the balance of, of chaos, isn't it? Mm. It's the whole butterfly flapping no. its wings thing. It wasn't rage. It was just first world resignation. Like, why well, can just get a new one? It's no big deal. I'm searching prices online at like within an hour, like 300 bucks. I don't know. Okay, do I just PayPal it from like my local Walmart and just pick it up on Monday or Wednesday or whatever, or whatever the hell yeah, the day is? You were to go to GameStop. You were telling me. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just thinking like, yeah, this, it's just one of those things. So, I leave the TV on. I tell you, dude, it ain't gonna happen. And I go back to what I was doing in the midst of this project work for the next four hours. I hit source a few more times, and then I go back to the cable feed because I want to see what's happening in the hockey game, and I realize. Did I have it on the wrong channel the whole time? <laughs> <laughs> so I turn the PlayStation back on, I cross my fingers, and sure enough, I get a nice little error message that says, you dumbass, don't pull the plugs out of it because you can damage all the, all the data. This thing. Well, it didn't say that, but... Oh, like, mine says that all the time. <laughs> well, yes, well, you deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and I realize, son of a bitch, it works. So all that faffing, and it was just that it was just an error with the TV. So welcome but, to welcome to Justin and Tom's Tech Hour. This is where, uh, if you have any technical issues, uh, you throw them to Justin, and Justin will uh, <laughs> attempt to repair them, and then go to GameStop with you. I was prepared to buy a new car after a flat tire there. That's <laughs> not even a flat, just what I thought was flat. Like, oh, that's just a groove. Okay, so it's not flat. Like, okay, you can cancel the order for that new Buick. So it was a confusing hot mess on Saturday night, not mm-hmm. unlike some of the things that happened on Monday Night Raw on our timeline as we continue to chronologically critique, thank you, OSW Review, Monday Night Raw from the very beginning. Uh, yes, I thought for the most part it was a pretty solid show, although there are some elements that are on this show that uh, are kind of foreboding. It's... Uh... It's trouble brewing in some cases, particularly the final angle of the night. Well, let's get straight into it. So, Justin, where and when are we? It is September 13th, 1993, and for the last time for the next three and a half years, Raw emanates from the Manhattan Center. Is this our last Manhattan Center night? Well, 
next week's show will be because it was taped right afterwards. But this is the last taping at the oh. Manhattan Center. Oh, so we're winding Up down on our time at the Manhattan Center. Oh. And they only come back. Tw- they only come back a few more times. Once for the ni- once for the '97 Raw where ECW showed up, and then a few times at the Hammerstein Ballroom, which is the same building, for one night stands and one taping of ECW on CNN. And obviously for the uh, 1,000th episode of Raw. Uh, yes, that disaster. Where they had like one or two matches and then DX and then The Undertaker. But the important thing is that Jerry, Jerry Lawler and Jim Ross caught up on sleep. I've just so realized, right this... should, you have, should you have just been listening for the entire first 10 minutes of the show just to give you a little bit of... Just... <laughs> Since we, since I've taken the mic out of Justin's technical awfulness, I will now quite happily own up to mine. Uh, I've had my microphone the wrong way around, so I've sounded like I'm in a cave yes, when so, I'm really so. not. Welcome to Justin and Tom's Tech Hour. <laughs> <laughs> this never happens on the on the Cultaholic podcast when it's Matthew no. and, and and a combination of others no, talking. No, no. They are so professional. They are so technically savvy, so smart. Do you ever get the feeling we're, we're the NWOB kind of... team, Justin? <laughs> Hell, I have that on my business card. We're talking about. <laughs> we are the NWOB team of Gold Alec. And do you know what? I'm proud of that. I'll wear that badge. <laughs> I am I am a writer by trades. writer by trades. This is like Shaq trying to act in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> you are Michael Jordan in Space Jam, and I am Bugs Bunny. I was going to say I'm more like a Shaq and Steel, but that's beside the point. Oh, yeah, you could be Shaq and Steel. That's fine. <laughs> okay, so, so microphone's the white right way around, and we can continue as normal. Ah, oh, you sound great. <laughs> Thanks. Mate. I work in radio. <laughs> yes, yeah, so you have no excuse. So we go into this show. It's... Uh... You know, no cold opening because SummerSlam is now two weeks old. There was no show on Labor Day because of, as custom back then, it was U.S. Open Tennis in, in its place. But now we're back into the Raw Hall here, and we have Vince Savage and Heenan, your usual three shot at ringside, with Francine behind them in the crowd. Yeah, I saw her this time. That was cool. It was distinctly Francine, was it not? Very Francine-ish. It was nice to see her. She was obviously, begin... if you're not familiar with Francine, is the ECW valet uh, of formerly of Tommy Dreamer and Raven and Danny Dorian and us. pretty much everybody. <laughs> yeah, Francine, uh, she was a staple of ECW from 95 until the end. The Queen of Extreme, they called her. And we go from Extreme to Extreme Enforcement of the Rules here with our opening match, which is the World Tag Team title match. Contested under Quebec province rules. It is the Steiner brothers versus the raw debut of Jacques and Pierre, Les Quebecers. Yeah, so this is... I was a bit baffled by this whole arrangement. Because it felt like not only is this a debut, but this feels like a match that would happen quite deep into a feud. Uh... It does. Although the Quebecers have been on TV since I want to say July, they've been kind of, um, you know, kind of buried in the scenery here. They weren't part of SummerSlam. They haven't been on Raw yet. So at this point, they're kind of just 
you know, kind of buried in the shuffle a little bit. But and as noted, this is their first role appearance, and it's for the tag team belts, and they have their roles stacked in their favor, the first time ever Quebec Province rules. Now, Quebec Province rules, for those of you who don't know, and certainly uh, if you're watching the show for the first time, you wouldn't have known because they were all just made up. Titles can change hands on disqualification or a countout. Pile drivers, throwing your opponent over the top rope, and jumping off the top rope are also subject to a disqualification. So it's basically like Memphis meets Bill Watts. Yeah, oh, like yeah, because it was Bill Watts that was that in real life. In was it was it Memphis or was it? No, it was in WCW during his time in WCW where he went no mm-hmm. throwing over the top rope. It's a disqualification. Like, ah, and no jumping off the top rope. But why? Why do that? It's like you have Pillman, you have Muda, you have all these great high flyers, and you can't jump off the top rope. Why? Now oh, I I was I was a bit befuddled by some of these, so. It was so you can't go over the you can't uh, count out in a DQ results in a title change. But you thrown over the top rope is a DQ. You can't go up to the top rope. Pile drivers are banned. Like, I never thought that Rick or Scott were hot for their pile drivers. So I, did, I so <laughs> as a fan watching this, I went. Oh, I mean that's all right. Like it's like it's like <laughs> it's like Hogan and Andre and then banning Frankenstein's. <laughs> and Hogan tries one. No, 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 don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Hogan and Andre, but uh, but Spanish flies off the top rope are cancelled. <laughs> Damn it, brother! That happened. was going to be the finish! Uh, I booked the canvas, brother. <laughs> so. You're a Spanish fly, boss. <laughs> Sorry, Andre. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Spanish fly, let me drink all this beer. I heard they make lucky charms beer now. <laughs> Why is it that Andrew the Giant almost talks like a parent from Charlie Brown? <laughs> it was the bass resonance in his voice. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't need a bear anyway. Here's a disqualification. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, if this is your first time listening to the Cultholic Classic Rule Review, we don't normally talk about technical problems and do Andrew the Giant impressions. This is just for you, the new listener. Welcome to it. <laughs> yes, this is our this is our way of saying, "Hey, we're idiots. Come join us." John, can you do Andrew the Giant fixing Justin's PlayStation Four? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> John. Only I can. Only I could fix it. I had the magic touch. <laughs> well, Andre's going to be doing it as far as history books and John's photoshoppery are concerned. <laughs> hey, wait, I, I got it. I'm on the Geek Squad. <laughs> I'll call so, GameStop. So anyway, Quebecers debut their fantastic music. Oh, the but is it a debut the of their music? Because it is it's the Mounties it's, music, but... but, uh, but no, um, no. It's the not the Mounties music. Pluralized. We're not the Mounties. <laughs> we're handsome, we're brave, we're strong. Because the the Royal Canadian Mounted Police tried to sue WWE or got an injunction filed so that Jacques Rougeau could not use the gimmick in Canada because he was impersonating an officer of the law and you can't do that. Oh. That's why 
So basically, in 1992, on a, a lot of shows in Canada, he was just Jacques Rougeau wearing the Mountie pants without the shirt. I so, didn't know that. Yeah, that was a big thing. I, I, I can't remember if this is true or not, but I, I remember hearing stories that he could have been arrested if he dressed as the Mountie for a show in Canada. Because he was, as, uh, because, he was impersonating an officer of the law. So as the Quebecers were not the Mounties because we're handsome, we're brave, and we're strong. Do they sing we're, we're not the Mounties? Yes, they do. Do we're not they? the Mounties. Yes, they do. Oh. And that was that was their shot back at the at, at the actual Mounties because unlike you guys, we're handsome, we're brave, and we're strong. I never noticed that. That was the big upturned middle finger to that whole injunction. Oh wow! <laughs> I assumed that it was were the Mounties. No, it's not because it, they're not wearing the hats and they're not wearing like the actual coats and unfortunately they're not carrying the shock sticks, which I don't think actual Mounties do carry. But, Even um, when I was a kid, I I thought that I remember dipping back into wrestling at around about this point. Remembering the Mountie and now going, oh, now there's two. That's okay. When I was a kid, I thought there was two Ultimate Warriors. Oh, there was twelve. Oh. Everyone knows that. The first one died, yeah. and then the second one was Matt Bourne. The other one was Matt Bourne, <laughs> and then the other one was uh, Skinner, and but, <laughs> Dwayne, but Dwayne the Gill, then was... Barry Hardy. <laughs> but, the, but the best one was D'Lo. Oh, D'Lo Brown was my... Actually, he's my second favourite. Head, Headbanger Mosh was my favourite Ultimate Warrior. <laughs> so we, and then Andre. <laughs> I'm on the one squad. There's a power the movie is. So, so, getting into the show. We're very giggly year. this week. We are so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long weekend, and I'm semi-tired. For those of you who who watch this episode in conjunction with us and might and might not know, Quebecer Pierre is now the man you see in Ring of Honor today, as the man who cannot be killed. PCO. I find this incredible. The, 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 and, and I think it's a credit to Pierre Carroulet, who was able to completely transform himself so late into his wrestling career just to become was, this machine he was retired for a few years there he was this, he was in his 40s pushing 50 and you kind of figure that's kind of the point, the point when you stop wrestling full time but here he is he's a machine how often PCO is it was... that a wrestler from the 90s makes a return and it's not a bit of an embarrassment and I, it's not a and bit not just, sad and not just that but completely reinvents themselves as something different instead of trading on what what got into the dance back then. Because PCO would kill Carlule. <laughs> he would kill everyone in this match except for possibly Big Papa Pump Scott Steiner. Yeah, at least those two would yeah, actually you could Im- like we should have put PCO in our Ica Power DeLorean and had him run in during this match. Everybody but Scott would be dead. <laughs> Pretty much. He's a he's a he's a machine Fire cannot hurt him. He cannot be harmed by being cut open. As he had darts thrown at him before, the man does not feel pain. He's uh, he's the French Frankenstein, I believe they call him. That's, and that's a great name for a wrestler. 
So we have this match. It's uh, it's Quebecers versus the Steiner brothers. And uh, Vince calls the song horrible singing, but screw him. And Vince thinks that following the rules favors the Steiners. It's kind of funny, actually. Which is, I, which is, uh, I initially thought, what a stupid thing to say. But then I was like, well, no, that that makes sense because because they're the good guys, and we're in this period where we we, we are years and years removed from the shades of grey type wrestling that we had in the Attitude Era. Like, where it's true, like there's there's tight rules, but the good guys always follow the rules to victory. So it's they should be fine. Well, well I mean, not always. I mean, Luger uses the forearm, doesn't he? He uses it at SummerSlam. He's supposed to be a good guy. Oh, but let's let's not worry about that because the, the fact that the fact that there's hardly any mention of Lex Luger on this show suggests exactly how they feel about how all that went. Well, actually, I. I... I did some research in the Observer. Apparently, he had a back injury at this point, so he was uh, he was he was out for a few weeks here. You're kidding! So, so that's the why he's not on here because you're 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 triumphant, New Hogan, first match of his new destiny, injured. <laughs> so it says your Lex Luger's still out of action with a back injury. Never know when he'll be back. He was hospitalized for test one week ago in Atlanta. He's supposed to be in the dark match main event with Brett facing Yoko and Ludwig Borga. But they end up being savage to have, uh, as Brett's partner instead. Jeez. So the match is is pretty fast paced for the most part. It's a long match too. It's over twenty minutes. And, P- and Pierre, for being pretty hefty at this point, I mean, he's hefty now. But at this point in his career, he was a lot bulkier. He goes up for the tiger drop so lightly. And, Vin- and Vince makes sure to note, and I and I'm quoting here, Pierre unquestionably the larger of the two Steiners. Congratulations, Pierre. You are so big in your own tag team that you also count in another tag team. You are so French that you're also part German. <laughs> Actually, Rick Steiner, uh, I've got here some delicious power slams from Rick Steiner in this match. Mm-hmm. There was a couple of really <laughs> lovely ones where Pierre and Carl were off, uh, where Ray and Carl were on the rebound. And he catches the midair. Oh, they look great! I love that version of the move. He did. He, he did Del Rey at uh, SummerSlam. He go for like a leapfrog or some sort of jummy move, and Rick just catches you and turns you. I love you, that. You want to follow the work of Rampage Brown here in the UK because mm. he does that power slam, and oh my god, it's a work of art. It just looks so good the way the guy just hangs there for like a split second before being turned. Yeah, because when done right, it looks like they're just suspended in midair for a little bit. And, and the heel has that moment of realization where it's like, oh boy, you really just got caught. I'm going to die now. It's great. It's great. When done well, it's brilliant. We have the spot where Rick tries for the pile driver, which he never, ever, ever does. Yeah, why try got... now when you're not allowed exactly. to do it? Exactly. And we made the joke earlier, but Scott's like, no, no, don't. Rick's like, okay, just hit him with something else instead. Vince makes note of the of the guns on Scott Steiner, and I wrote, oh, just you wait. <laughs> this is not even Scott's final form. He is going to get so much bigger. I wish we could see the Steinbrugs versus Quebecers today, just have PCO and Big Papa Pump matchup. That would you, be actually, something. You know what? That would be something else. Joey Janela, if you're listening to this podcast, if you could be so kind as to book that match for Spring Break 3, Tom and I would be very, very happy people. Oh, we'd be all over that. Yeah, thank you, Joey. If you could, that'd be great. 
<laughs> yes, it just. I mean, just for us. I mean, not anybody else. I mean, we we are your biggest fans, obviously. Mm-hmm. So we have this kind of weird sequence where there's these half crabs and uh, and they keep getting broken up and Jacques interferes and Earl Hebner does nothing about it. Earl Hebner was useless in this match. Like, the, the, like eight million illegal things happened right in front of his eyes. There was one but, moment when. Um, one of the Quebecers ran in to break up a cover and, and Earl watched it happen and didn't stop them until after the cover had been broken. And then when Scott comes in to kind of fight them off, Earl's up in his face saying, get out, get out the ring. Look, whose side are you on here? Cheeky yeah, boy. Well, this isn't the first time that Earl and Montreal would be used in the same sentence in terms of uh, someone being screwed over. Oh, someone that is long. some foreshadowing. Long, luminous, dark hair that gets screwed over. <laughs> and, and, and speaking of long, luminous, dark hair, out comes Johnny Polo in a Montreal Canadiens jersey. I enjoyed the jersey that Johnny Polo appeared in because the back of the jersey basically gave us exposition for what's happening. It's, it's, it spelled the whole storyline out for you. We are the Quebecers Jacques and Pierre, and I am Johnny. <laughs> It just made me laugh because it was just like, it'd be like Skeletor turning up with a cape on the back saying, I'm Skeletor, I'm here to kill He-Man. <laughs> Had that embroidered at the uh, mall kiosk that afternoon. Amazing. So, uh, we get the weirdest spot I may have ever seen in the match where Rick has Pierre down. He's he's on the middle rope. He's teasing going to the top rope. Scott has to remind him, no, don't do that. We'll lose our belts. So Rick's like, all right, and jumps from the second rope. He jumps and turns himself horizontal and flies at Pierre's legs and ends up hurting his own rib cage off of it. Pierre does nothing but lay there. Rick just hits his legs and just grabs his gut like he just had some like bad stew or something. It was, just, it was kind of disjointed, <laughs> a little bit. It was a bit messy, to say the very least. We... We have the raw debut here of Vince Tom fans to turn off that dull football game. Because for the first time ever, Raw is head to head with Monday Night Football. Yeah, he gave him a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a downplay. That I think it was this was the the sign, as you say, of Vince McMahon rallying against other things on TV. And this would become the story of Monday Night Raw for years. Like when Monday Night Football would really cripple Raw ratings, and still does now. <laughs> I did some research for this game. It was actually a pretty decent game. It was the Cleveland Browns when they were actually a powerhouse under a young Bill Belichick, who's the current Patriots head coach. They beat the San Francisco 49ers 23-13 in what looked like a, a decent game. So we get a spot here where Scott Steiner's on the mat. And the, and the Quebecers have this move where Jacques picks up Pierre and just slams him on a guy. Scott was not in position for this. He's on his side holding his head selling. But Jacques's holding Pierre up, so he's got to drop him at some point, or, you know, lest he get a hernia. And Scott turns just enough where Jacques's like, all right, and just drops Pierre right on him. And it looked bad. It looked like he just crushed his skull. It was nasty. That was as good as it was going to be under those circumstances. I, I noted that Hebner is useless in this match because he keeps missing everything. This guy could not be more inept. I never made the Quebec, the Canada, Earl Hebner connection, but I strongly am now. Now I'm reliving this match. 
he's screwing the guy in the with the long dark hair and the singlet. So there's your other connection. Vince is at ringside. Although Vince is rooting against the screw job here. So then Heenan gets in a funny line at one point when Scott Steiner's still in this long heat segment here, and it was a long heat segment. Heenan says, and I'm quoting here, they're used to being on their knees, long pause, begging. <laughs> that was good timing by Heenan. Heenan was good tonight. Heenan was good. I I entertain the possibility that they, that he didn't realize how bad that sounded when he said it. So that he, after a, after a pregnant pause there, he quickly is like, "Oh, I better make sure that doesn't sound like a blowjob joke, otherwise." Uh, no, I I genuinely me. think Bobby Heenan knew what he was doing. I think I, Bobby, I, I think so. Bobby, whilst he's normally squeaky clean, Bobby likes to sometimes just push the button. Well, he, well, he did make the uh, flowers on his desk joke earlier this summer about Bill Clinton. There you go. So he's got a previous. <laughs> I think that was deliberate. That was a little wink to the adults in the audience at home watching. It was indeed. Good work, sir. <laughs> Rick gets the hot tag. We have a Pierce Sixer. It starts breaking down at this point. And then 25 seconds after Rick gets in there, crowd's barking along with Rick as he clotheslines everybody. 25 seconds later, Vince says, I believe the legal man is Scott Steiner. It's like, we just had the hot tag. Yeah. Why have you not? Why have you missed that? Is he watching football on that ringside TV? I mean, <laughs> how do you lose focus that quickly? Damn 49ers. Steve Young. So Scott gets a, gets a hold of the hockey stick. Polar throws it in there. Well, Jacques has it at first. Yeah, so he what happens crush- is here. Yeah, so Jacques's got the, the hockey stick, and he's stalking Scott Steiner with it. So he's going to hit him with this hockey stick that Johnny Polo brought out. And as... Uh, uh, and and Scott turns round just as he's about to hit him. So Scott takes it off him, and he's begging off. The Quebecers are begging off. Scott then, in full view of the referee, just has a Scott Steiner moment and just batters him with the hockey stick. Well, I mean, to be fair, Earl let everything else go to this point. I mean, Pierre hit him with a truck at one juncture. Earl's watching it. Doesn't do anything about it. <laughs> but then, yeah, we get the DQ, and Sure enough, we have a title change. The, the rules, the, the rules tag... are you can it will change on a DQ. So new tag team champions, the Quebecers, Jacques and, Pierre, Jacques and Pierre in their first Raw match, the first tag title change in Raw history. Is this the first time a title's changed? Uh, yeah, because previously when the show started, it was Money Inc. as the champs. Oh, the, the first. Title so this is the first with... tag title change hands. Yeah, first tag title change. But right. we, we did it. Because we had Intercontinental back in May with uh, Marty beating Sean. So we've had two of the major belts in WWF will t- at the moment change hands on Raw. <laughs> One to go. Yeah, yeah, spoiler, spoiler warning, it'll be a few years before we see that. Yeah, it might be a while. Um, but yeah, so Rick and Scott are given out to Will Hebner, furious with the result. But to be fair, they're banged to rights. Absolutely banged to rights. Yeah, I mean, Hebner caught him in the act of hitting Jacques with the hockey stick, and Savage gets in a wonderful line here, because he's just fuming about this turn of events. He says, when you come up with a better word for robbery, I'll talk to you. (laughs) And he turns away from Vince, like he's in a bad mood. Why can't you say robbery, then? (laughs) Isn't robbery sufficient for what just happened in in your eyes? Go get me a thesaurus. 
<laughs> I need my word of the day calendar. <laughs> Don't use robbery because... Dot, 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 I am dot. the grammar squad. Dot, 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 dot. I don't know what that means. <laughs> don't use too many big words now. I'm not Shakespeare. I don't know what that means. <laughs> We've got running jokes on Cultural Classic Review. I gotta say, with all the uh, idiosyncrasies there, that was a great match. It was, and you know what? I started off. A bit dumbfounded with the whole Quebec rules thing because I'm looking like, don't throw over the top, don't go to the top, no pile drivers. Like, these lads don't do any of these things. What's the point in all this? But it was just a cluster of red herrings because I'd forgotten, and, and it wasn't until he hit him, I'd forgotten that, oh yeah, count outs are a win because I was too busy thinking about all the other stupid hokey stuff that comes with a Quebec rules match. This was actually, and it was so therefore, it was actually, in hindsight, an incredible bit of booking because they were just a bunch of red earrings that weren't going to happen. But Scott Steiner was going to lose his temper and hit him with the hockey stick. And on top of that, we got, we got to hear the theme song twice. So that was a, you know, just extra gravy on the entree there. What, is, what I now, now know is called We're Not the Mounties. Because that's, they're that's handsome, incredible. they're brave, and they're strong. So Johnny Polo has managed the Quebecers to their first tag team titles. What a way to start Raw. It, I mean, nothing on the show would top it after that, but that was a hell of a way to start the show. No, because this is very much the formula of Raw in 1993, where your main mm -hmm. event is on first, and then we've just got, like, fluff for a big part of the show from here on in. For lack of a better term, yes, fluff. Although the next match was anything but fluff in the sense of it wasn't very soft. No. So we so we have that. They go away. They've won the tag titles. Uh, Mr. Perfect is in action next. Already in yeah, the ring, Tony DeVito. Tony DeVito we've seen a few times before. He would go on and become a member of the Baldies in ECW after he shaved off his glorious mullet. And it is a glorious mullet, I gotta say. Oh, it's beautiful. He must have lost some power when he shaved it off. Yeah, very Samson-ish. Not Elias Samson, but the actual Samson. Who's Elias Samson? That was Elias' full name when he debuted in NXT. I only know Elias. Who wants to walk with Elias Samson? See, it's not as catchy. <laughs> I only know Otis. It was this Dozovich uh, that you speak of. <laughs> Who is the Cien Almas you speak of? I only know Andrade. Who is apparently dating Charlotte Flair? So I hear. Ooh, is my is I my mean, journalistic response to that? <laughs> I mean, it has a long history of name changes. I mean, going back to Axe Harrison and Smash Devereaux from Demolition. <laughs> Someone's gonna look that up now. I I always my favorite was uh, Nasty Brian Nobbs McGillicuddy. And nasty Jerry Sags O'Donoghue. They were excellent when they were in NXT in 92 and got called up to the main roster. <laughs> yes, Sags is very proud of his Irish heritage. He, oh, yeah, he had that Irish gimmick where he'd come out Irish dancing. <laughs> he was Saggy Seamus at one point. Saggy Seamus, that was it. And, and do you know what? Like, and they popped for him in 93 in uh, Full Sail. In NXT 93, they popped for him. And you know what? They brought him up to the main roster. They put him in a tag team and they ruined him. Ruined him. 
Like the in when he was in NXT in '93, sa- saggy saggy balls. When he was in NXT in '93, <laughs> like that thing where he would rub the wrestler into the armpit, it was just like a transitional move. Vince was like, "I love it, making his main move." So when he got called up to the main roster, it was all he did. Yeah, unfortunately, the uh, you do have the nasty bar just didn't fit him. It just, it really, honestly, uh, it, it just wasted when he got. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. That's the main roster. I love the fact that there are people... Uh, download this podcast for for the legitimate discussion on Raw, and and there are people listening who are going. There wasn't an NXT in 1993. What are <laughs> yeah, you talking about? <laughs> there are. And if, and if you don't know anyone that talks like that, if you're listening, it's probably you. <laughs> so we have perfect in the veto. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Perfect and, and, in NXT and, and, was incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, when he was Curtis McGillicuddy. <laughs> he was. <laughs> and he insulted Loki. You don't let you go in swimming. <laughs> well, speaking of uh, Loki, that reminds me of you know stiff strikes, and that leads us to this match okay. right here. Good, good job. Get, keep it on track. So, this is the most oddly structured squash match which I've seen to this point on Raw, and, and that's saying a lot given. You know, the experimental free-form formula that some of these matches have had over the last eight months or so. We had DeVito hitting some punches early on, and then for some reason he jumps to the floor and celebrates. Like he's doing, like, taunts and stuff. So Perfect jumps to the floor and chases him into the locker room, and then he drags him back, throws him in the ring, and the crowd is chaining Perfect Sucks. Yeah, he was getting some mad heat from the crowd. I don't know why. I mean, maybe because him and Sean's match was a bit disappointing, but doesn't mean that he sucks. It could just could just been an off night. So DeVito hits a drop kick. Perfect comes back with one of his own. Now the crowd's chanting, we want Sean. 
That was weird. And, and, and weirder. Perfect. He does the full, now you're going to see a perfect plex finish. Sure enough, perfect plex. Pins him. Then after the pin, he smacks the beat in the face several times and stomps on him. Like, viciously. Not even like, it's, this is part of the part of the angle, you know, the, the guy pissed me off or whatever. I mean, no, he, he gives him the business right there on the mat. This was really an aggressive showing by Mr. Perfect. And it just, like, and as, as I alluded to at the very beginning of the show, does, does this guy owe Kurt some money? Is there something going on here? Because there was a weird atmosphere. And, and do you know what? I, after watching this match and the match before, I stopped watching Raw and just checked I was watching the right episode. Because I feel like, like from SummerSlam to now, so much feels different. I assumed I'd missed an episode or missed a beat somewhere. Well, there's been a two-week gap, but as noted, as noted, you know, there was a the Labor Day holiday rolled in air on Labor Day in the in the olden days. It could have been passed off as perfect, like being angry that he didn't win at SummerSlam and he's showing off a hostile streak or whatever. But I mean, even after the match. He, he won't let the referee raise his hands. He just pulls his arm away like angrily, like like he's just having a bad night. And, and I, I I don't get it. It's it's weird. Did he have a history of if he was in a bad mood, just taking it out and just and not not playing nice, so to speak? I've never got I've never got that impression from from the stories I've heard about him. He was always easygoing, you know, pulling ribs on people. He's, he was like a notorious practical joker. I, I, I did see one video right after the death of Ravishing Rick Rude. I don't know if you've ever seen this. This is like a YouTube gem now, and it's, it's actually very uncomfortable to watch, so just a little heads up on that. Back in the days of WCW, in the, in the spring of 99, they had this show called, I think it was called Blast Off or Blast or something. It was like a DirecTV exclusive that aired before Nitro went on the air. It's like a pre-show of sorts, but it was very loose and hasty. This one interview guy is interviewing Mr. Perfect, who's like not really ready for an interview because it's it's kind of like uh, it's like guerrilla style. You're just like like hey, there's this guy over here. Hey, come on in, Stevie Ray or whoever. So he's interviewing him. He's giving some some kayfabe speech or whatever. That's like it, it's not it's unpolished. And then the interviewer you know he brings it down and asks about the death of Ravishing Rick Rude because you know you were at his funeral last week. And Kurt Hennig makes like this cringe, like he's like I was not expecting to talk about this right now. And then he goes on this tirade about how so many guys from WWE Damon show up to his funeral and how and how pissed off that made him. Like he was fighting almost like fighting back tears while he's talking about this. Like he's that angry, but he's 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 holding it together. And at the end of the interview, the guy says, Well, thank you for your time. And Kurt Hank says to him, I'll tell you something right now. If you ever do if you ever want to do an interview, come ask me first. And he hits him with this magazine right in the shoulder and walks off. Jeez. It was so bizarre, like like, why would you do that to a guy on, on live TV when he's not even – like, you know, prepare him for that. That's just and, – and where was this on again? Remind us. I'm sorry? Where, where – where, is this available to watch somewhere? It was on YouTube. I don't know if it's still up. I watched it maybe like months ago. It, it was like Mr. Perfect interview Rick Rude or whatever. It was something along those lines. It was like it had to be the spring of 99, obviously, because that's when Rude passed away. But it was just such a jarring thing to watch. And I don't blame him for being pissed off, quite frankly. I just get the vibe then that maybe Kurt Hennig was the kind of guy where if he was having a bad night, it would come through in his performance. 
I guess not, not that he would be people. unprofessional. No, in, he was quite rough with Tony, but he wasn't like dangerously rough. You could just tell that he was rattled. And well, I mean, after, well, I mean, after the match, he hit him in the face several times and stomped on him. That's kind of a clue that uh, it didn't seem like that was part of the show. Mm. Yeah, he and just I, it didn't I, seem like he was in a good place here. Yeah, I don't know what could have happened to facilitate that. I, Observer had nothing on that. And I usually like the middle. Like the best place for any sort of anecdote and nothing. I I wrote my notes. The F was that. Just in a bad mood. Maybe Tony upset him beforehand. Maybe he'd said a something. Spot somewhere. Yeah. I don't possibly. Know. And maybe Tony wasn't meant to run out the ring and cheer. And they just kind of, who knows? That was just weird. It was a very weird night, and the crowd weren't into him at all. So the crowd just naturally turned on him, as we said earlier. Weird night for Perfect. We then go to a backstage, uh, well, not backstage, uh, a video. We discuss Luger and SummerSlam and how all that turned out, where Vince finally says, you know, a bittersweet victory for Lex. Well, you should have said that SummerSlam night when he Well, this is it. This is the first time I do believe they acknowledge the fact that Luger didn't win the title. You know, the, the most important part of the whole thing, what he was fighting for. I have to share a story, though, from The Observer pertaining to the man who, who was shown confronting Luger, that being Ludwig Borga. Oh, okay. In my research last night, I found this story. And if you ever want to know how frightening Borga was among his contemporaries, I came across this little gem here, this little paragraph. Some controversy involving Ludwig Borga, Tony Holm. Holm, which is, as this, this is his real name, obviously had told Titan months back that he needed October off for the New Japan Tag Team Tournament, and it was agreed upon, but then he got his schedule which showed a book the entire month. He was told they worked things out with New Japan. Within wrestling circles, this New Japan tour was much talked about because Scott Norton would be on the same tour. Now, you know Scott Norton, obviously. Oh, yes. Scott Flash Norton. Last year, there was a bar fight between the two in Japan, which only lasted three punches, all by home. Although the story has since evolved that Norton was in no condition to fight, and as the story goes, the big rematch was going to happen sometime this tour. Ever since the fight, wrestlers everywhere have been a little apprehensive about wrestling home. Because he's a, he, he's coming across as like a legitimate hothead and a legitimate badass. Well, if, if you know Scott Norton, who is a legitimately frightening human being, and if the story is that he knocked out Norton with three punches, then that says a lot about Tony Holm. Ludwig Borga. That's, That's incredible. Because <laughs> he, like, we've, we've joked that, like, he comes across as a Brock Lesnar type. In terms of, like, he yeah. just looks, he looks like him. He, he kind of looks like he might kill you. And clearly he can, <laughs> as we've just discovered. I'm thinking how many guys in that locker room at that point would have even stood a chance against him in a legitimate fight. And it's a very, it's a very short list if anybody makes the list. It's a uh, he, he he definitely had the image they were looking for in a badass heel, and he carried himself like one as well, and that was pretty obvious. So we go to a, a bit lighter fare here: Razor Ramon versus the Executioner. <laughs> the Executioner. Infamous. He's been around for years, the Executioner. <laughs> oh, sure. He's been around since the 70s. He was a tag team champion at one time. 
I was uh, I was looking at the list of wrestlers who have played the Executioner, and it does feel like a very peculiar who's who, like dating all Rich. the way back to the seventies. For example, who? Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to shout some names at you, and you have to tell me whether they were the Executioner or not. Okay. Killer Kowalski. Yes. He was indeed in 1976. Coco Mm -hmm. Beware. No. He was never the executioner. He was the sex executioner. He was the sex... (laughs) Buddy Rose. Yes. He was indeed 1985. Nikolai Volkov. No. He was... He was, really. In 1976. How about that? Barry Hardy. Yes. He was. 1993. And the executioner here tonight is either Barry Hardy or Dwayne Gill. Based on what what I could see of his eyes through the mask but during the part where, where his Chiron was on the screen, I'm pretty sure it was Dwayne Gill. Possibly do it. Just it did look a bit like a last-minute Halloween outfit of an executioner setup. Yeah, it was just a black bodysuit with the faux demolition sort of looking mask thing. This is one of those occasions where you you're putting a mask on somebody to make it look like there's more people on the roster. <laughs> there's a uh, <laughs> there is a wrestling company based in the West Midlands, and their referee is masked. Because their referee is one of the wrestlers. Well, it's, they can't, if you're on a budget. They're on a, oh, mate. They're, they're, they're on an incredible budget. And that's how they get round it. That was Bobby Heenan's idea for the Cruiserweight division. He told Bischoff, if you want to save some money, just bring in two guys and bring in 20 masks. But I, <laughs> I mean, that would work. <laughs> I'm, however, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add that it's true. It saves money on a budget. But I'm fairly sure. And I might be wrong. So I'm going to I'm going to start the sentence by saying I might be wrong that all of these are connected but I know for a fact that the guy running the company uh would also would compete as himself as Doink the Clown <laughs> and as Kim Chi. Well, it's... so if he's the, and and I've looked at video and I'm pretty sure that's the referee as well. They're saving money, and then they're saving money. (laughs) You got to do what you got to do in order order to stay in business, right? (laughs) So that is saving some money. But yeah, so executioner is Dwayne Gill, who I do believe will be on these tapings anyway. It's either him or Mr. Hughes, I can't tell. (laughs) They're pretty much twins. Twin magic. (laughs) It's the Bellas of Bondage. Oh my god, that is a team name. <laughs> and and a weird dream. John. John! No, don't John, because you'll you'll get kicked out of the library. No <laughs> John, no, I'll have you know, no aspersions cast. John does the photoshopping in the comfort of his own home. Just put it just put it sh- in the If you if you are gonna do the Bellas of Bondage, do shut the curtains first. <laughs> Here comes the Hughes. Here comes the Gilbert. <laughs> the bondage. Of bondage. <laughs> <laughs> <Utter> <laughs> <Wicking> disaster. 
Pain and Submission is our middle name. Anyway, <laughs> back to this compelling match, which, speaking of stuff that's inappropriate, <laughs> I think I think Randy Savage Man made a very inappropriate joke at one juncture while, uh, while Themis Clarities was carrying the Raw sign. She had it upside down at one point. Vince makes no note about it. And Savage, tells, and Savage makes note that he doesn't mind that she's upside down. Yeah, <laughs> that was a weird <laughs> line. I, I thought about it, I'm like, oh. But the thing is, that, that wasn't even didn't. the weirdest line of this match. The weirdest line of this match, I haven't made enough who said it, but it looks like it could be a Savage line. Razor's clearly done a lot of work with his hands. Yeah, I got that line. I, I, I assume he means he, he's like a proud laborer, cause, hence why DiBiase and Iris try to make him a domestic. He's worked his way up from the streets, kind of like uh, what Scarface did, kind of going along that uh, motif. He, he's a self-made man. Ah, uh, that makes more sense. See, I, I thought it sounded rude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think he's talking handies here. <laughs> although although there, there is a great line here, because this is right around the time that Raymond Burr passed away. And he makes reference to Vince needing a new lawyer after Perry Mason died. And Vince is like, don't go there. Because <laughs> Vince is going to need uh, Mr. McDevitt's services very soon. Oh, so do you think Bobby was sort of poking the bear a little bit by going, hey, Vince, naughty boy? <laughs> he may have meant it innocently, but Vince might not have taken it so innocently. You got lawsuits coming out your bum soon, Vince. Hey, get yourself Perry Mason. Ah, that's funny. See, Bobby, I think, is being a bit naughty tonight. <laughs> yeah, it's not so much lawsuits as it is a federal indictment. <laughs> so, Executioner knocks Razor to the floor in this really awkward spot. And Razor just kind of just falls to the outside, giving Dwayne Gill the upper hand. Dwayne Gill getting one over on Razor Ramon. And they even, and they even suggest on commentary that Executioner could beat him. Because they've got, hey, Razor is... Uh, He's he's taken these guys these these WWE stars too lightly before, and that's how the one two three kid happened. Uh. You see that one win by the one two three kid four months ago leaves just a sliver of doubt. But I in like the mind it. Of the audience. I like it. I like that we're now at a point where the enhancement guys are getting a little bit. Like I liked the fact that Tony DeVito was getting a little bit of the offense on perfect. I was like, that's cool. One two-minute upset four months ago has put so much equity into this product. Brilliant. The now, numbers strike back. Of course, Razor kicks his ass after that. Pins him with the back superplex this time. Well, I mean, it's a devastating move, but it wasn't the finish. It was the setup, the prelude, if you will, to the Razor's Edge. But then after the match, he hits him with the Razor's Edge because he's a baby face. Yeah, that felt like a very un-baby facey thing to do. <laughs> like... Oh, I want fair and square. Oh, let me break your neck with the razor's edge here. The people will love it. It kind of made me think, was he meant to stay down for three? Was that meant to be the finish? Yeah, maybe Gil was just trying to get out of being hit with the razor's edge. <laughs> like, if I, if I stay down, he can't hit me with it. I'm going to hit you with it anyway. So then we go from there to a new ad campaign that's going to waft its way through the raw broadcast for the remainder of the year, possibly in early 94. This was incredible. In what sense do you mean? In the sense of 
I can't believe that we were at this point once and I actually want to cut my own penis off. I'm so ashamed to be a bloke. Okay. Uh, I, I thought for a moment there you were, you know, praising this. No, 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 no. I think it's I think it's awful. And I mean there's worse things out there and I think we have to we we have to be careful that we don't open up a can of Me Too worms with stuff like this. But it does shine a light on wow, what is what a bunch of sleaze balls <laughs> the television executives were, maybe still are, probably will be for a bit. But this, so I I think before we talk any more about it. If you explain what this advert was, or would you like me to? I could try doing it. Okay, you go for it, my friend. Okay, so we have this presumably married couple laying in bed. The guy's kind of slovenly looking. He's wearing a white tank top. He's a little bit hairy and overweight. Balding. And the woman, yeah, that too. Clearly in the his 40s. Like, and the girl appears to be completely out of his leg. And she's wearing like this... Um, I guess it's like silk or whatever. It, 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 it's like a nighty of sorts. It's very revealing. And she and she looks like she wants to, you know, be frisky for a little bit. They're playing the saxophone music in the background. Like, 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 come on, honey, let's do something. He's like, oh, I'm really tired. And and she's like, 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 oh, come on. And she's trying to goad him into it. And he's like, I, I had a long work week. And she said, but it's only Monday. He goes, it's Monday. He jumps right up, turns Monday Night Roll on because he'd rather watch that than do anything extracurricular there. And he's suddenly wide awake, sat up in bed, watching Monday Night Raw, and just cheering along with everything going on while his his wife goes, just so, in the back, just sort of sighs. And just, this is... Right, uh, first off, I guarantee whoever directed that advert is or looks exactly like that guy. <laughs> Without a shadow of a doubt, this is this is a small man syndrome brought to life in a commercial for wrestling. I can't emphasize enough just the the the, the difference between this old fat balding guy. He looked like T. L. Hopper, and this beautiful young woman looked like in her mid twenties. Who was just desperate for this wastage to show her some affection. And he was having wastage. none of it. Wastage. Show her some affection. And he and then suddenly when he remembered it was Monday. Oh, sorry, love. I ain't got time for that with you. Who, as Justin said, clearly out of my league. The wrestling's on. It was just, <laughs> oh, God. Like, Reverse this whole thing the other way around, and it wouldn't have worked in the nineties. Because in the nineties, this is where we were at. Well, I mean, I wasn't that offended by it or anything. I, I just thought it was just a dumb ad. This is part of the WBF Unbelievable campaign, which is going to be the catchphrase going forward for a few months of this campaign. They do have some ads that I, I, I'll, I'll agree. This did not age well at all. It, it looks it looks very low brow and just. Like if you showed this to like a, like an actual ad agency that that, that that had like any any scruples or was worth its salt whatsoever, they'd be like, just get the hell out of here. I'm having an epiphany, Justin. Yes. The ad campaign is for WWF with the tagline "Unbelievable." 
Right. So, maybe <laughs> the point they're making is that entire scenario is unbelievable, which would recover it somewhat. But then you're adding into that the idea that somebody wants to watch Raw is also unbelievable. <laughs> it's quite possible. Like, you can you can recover this by saying, the ad campaign's unbelievable. So, of course, of course, it's unbelievable that this big TL hopper-looking wastage isn't going to be married to this voluptuous, beautiful woman in her mid-twenties. Of course, we're not going to be at a point where she's going, oh, come on, let's do it. And he's like, no, I'm watching the wrestling. That's unbelievable. But yet you have to factor into it. The, the idea that somebody wants to watch Raw is unbelievable. So it's like a half-baked idea. And that's me, that's me being really generous and opening my mind really wide. It's, it's the very best. At the very best, it is a completely illogical advert. I think they were just saying it's more, that Rawls more invigorating than sex, but that's him. You know, I think it's all. I think it's all it was, and they just did it in a very hand-fisted sort of way. It was. It just. It, it does smack of something that Vince wrote, or somebody, or that. It just. It does because I think Vince had his hand in a lot of stuff at this time, and when you are constantly looking over an entire product, you can't have like a trained eye on everything because you're too busy trying yeah. to look over everything. Tell you what annoys me in terms of the raw branding is when they have that still shot of the of the of the raw steak. So it's it's a it's a photo they throw up every so often when they're going to break. And it's a photo of a table and you've got the you got a steak and it's got raw written on the steak and next to it is a mug of coffee. Uh-huh. Who has a coffee and steak? That sounds like heaven to me. Surely you don't drink a coffee whilst you have steak. I mean, I don't, but I, I, I never tried it. I could be open to it. Who knows? Well, there you, there's your challenge this week. Have a coffee and a steak. I don't think the combo works, personally. <laughs> I will say this much, though. A few weeks ago, I watched WrestleMania 17 from start to finish. The greatest show in the history of time. <laughs> and, if, and, and if you remember, they had the... Limp Biscuit My Way video for the Rock Austin match. Oh, the greatest... yes. See, it was really about Star and Devlin, but this was the gold standard of hype videos for a match. Watching that video again, I've watched it a million times by now, but just watching it again made me, it reminded me why I'm a wrestling fan, and it made me proud that I got to see this match when it happened and enjoy this video when it first aired. This unbelievable video gave me the exact opposite feeling. <laughs> I, I was not proud to be a wrestling fan watching that video. I felt uncomfortable watching that video. I've, I felt sad to be a wrestling fan. <laughs> that's the point I'm making. It wasn't the... Yeah. Uh, you don't turn to your buddy and you go, that's why I watch wrestling. After seeing that commercial. Because <laughs> I can get a hot woman and then I can ignore her. Precisely. <laughs> so we go to an interview with the Quebecers and Johnny Polo as conducted by Vince McMahon. So we get to hear the song again, which is okay with me. Jacques puts over the Canadian sports teams, who would be the Toronto Blue Jays and the Montreal Canadiens, who were the defending champions of baseball and hockey at that point. Interestingly enough, though, in the big four American sports, um, MLB, NFL, NBA, and NHL, 
No Canadian team has won a title since 1993. Oh, that's awkward. When the Blue Jays repeated as World Series champions the following month, that was it. The Canadians were the last NHL team, hockey, mind you, you know, Canada's native sport, to win the Stanley Cup. It's been more than 25 years. It's been all U.S. teams since. Including my New Jersey Devils three times. So, so that was kind of a a timely reference. Yay, Canada rules the sports world. Yeah, but not for long. <laughs> Jacques kisses Vince in a funny moment. He never recommends he be. You see a doctor after that. Yeah, you want to get some jabs. So, so uh, Vince Birch of the rematch that the Steiners should, should should be entitled to. After, you know the whole rematch clause. And I'm thinking while watching this interview, and like, shouldn't Rick and Scott be, be running out to try and kill them at this point? <laughs> like, like, why, why even have like 30 seconds to even talk? Like, here should come Rick and Scott with like baseball bats. They should have just charged out and battered them. Like, why are they still alive at this point, the Quebecers, after what just happened? Ah, wrestling. So the Steiners finally arrive after much uh, talking from Jacques and Johnny Polo. And I noticed Scott got changed. He put on a different single. He did, didn't he? And I mean, I know why. It's because he's wrestling on next week's show. Yeah, it's he, almost like they're re- recording two shows at the same time. What? No, that never happens. It's almost like that's what they're doing. So Scott has more than one single, and he, has, he now has the second one on a little early. Like, Scott, you do a run-in. Uh, I'll just wear this. No one's going to know the difference. So on next week's show, we have a one-on-one match, and, to, and if the Stein representative wins that match, then they get a rematch for the belts. It's Scott versus Pierre. And in the midst of this whole uh, skirmish here, someone gets beat twice. I don't know who it was. Possibly a fan. Could have been Scott, given Scott's tendencies. But that was that. It was a bit weird. The, the conversation was a bit peculiar between them because you had uh, Ray saying... Oh, so it's, it's, it's Jacques, isn't it? It's Jacques Rougeau. Jacques, yes. You had Jacques Rougeau saying, no, you don't get a rematch. Don't care. And then they made the singles match, and they used to like, no, no, don't care, not having it. And then Johnny Polo jumps in and goes, yeah, we're having it. So it was one of these things where, and WWE gets rubbished these days for being a bit more script heavy than they used to be. But it's moments like this where you you, you are grateful for a script layout. So you kind of know who's to say what, who's not talking over who. It does help. This felt a little yeah. bit messy. There is a middle ground there. You want to have some sort of balance. Yeah, you 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 want to know the salient points to make, um, and you want a bit of freedom to make it in your own way. This right. did feel and a bit is, messy. It is Scott versus Pierre next week. A match I think I'd rather see in 2019 than 1993. Oh my God! Yes. Honest. Then PCO versus Big Papa Pum. Joey Janela, please, if you can. Joey. <laughs> Joey! John! Get Joey! <laughs> Joey! We get some footage of uh, Bobby Heenan and Randy Savage at the Jerry Lowe's MDA telethon. Oh, which... Vince knows his audience. <laughs> well, like, he used to air every year on uh, on Labor Day weekend. It was always a big deal. Uh, until it wasn't anymore. And Jerry Lewis is, uh, at this point, is still quite witty. 
him and Heener kind of bantering back and forth a little bit, and Jerry Lewis is humoring him. Heaney confuses him with um, Sherry Lewis before confusing him with Jerry Lee Lewis, while Savage uh, kind of makes pantomimes and annoys at Heaney. And Heaney goes, well, who are you? And Jerry Lewis says, I'm a Jew in heat. Oh, yeah, that was a funny line. <laughs> well, Jerry Lewis is a funny guy, especially um, – oh, they missed a chance to make a joke about, about the Quebecers here because, you know, he, Jerry Lewis is very big in France, and the Quebecers could like, have been like his biggest supporters. They did miss that trick, didn't they? That's a shame. We don't get telethons anymore, do we? Uh, we did when a Hurricane Sandy hit New York, and we had that 12-12-12 uh, concert, the benefit concert. Oh, yes, that's true. Yeah, that's true. And what am I talking so, about? We have comic relief and children in need every year over here. So we have two a year. Of course we do. What are you talking about, Tom? <laughs> yeah, we still get telethons yeah. occasionally. Telephones, the... telephones are still a thing. I think the Jerry Lewis one ended earlier this decade, unfortunately, and he did pass away a couple years ago. So we come to our main event, which is going to make both of us very sad. Doink the Clown versus Rambler and Rich Myers. I don't know if we ever mentioned this before, but Rich Myers actually is the son of George Animal Steel. Is he? Yes, he is. James Myers. Ah. Father of Rich Myers. And if you look at his face, you see it in the eyes, clearly. I'm going to watch it again just to see the eyes of Rich Myers. I like Rich Myers. I do like, like, there's something about him. Like, when this match starts, like, he's got fire. And we joked earlier about, like, the rise of the jobber at this particular point in the in, in Raw's history. Uh, and we saw Tony DeVito, you know, give perfect a couple of licks earlier on today. We saw the execution to get one over on Razor. And this match starts... With Rich Myers, who was already in the ring, like giving mm-hmm. Doik a bit of a beating. Very briefly, yeah, My- but it still counts. I mean, Myers did fare pretty well for himself in the um, Maryland and Delaware, New Jersey area independent scene in the late 90s as Ramblin' Rich. So he definitely had a, a bit of a future ahead of him. He wasn't just some one-off job guy that came in, didn't do anything, and was drummed out in short order. But the big story here is Doink, who... To this point, has been he's been a douche in face paint. He's pulled evil tricks on people. He's he's demonstrated evil tendencies, but now he's happily throwing confetti on fans like he's Rip Taylor. And I wrote this doesn't bode well because I know it's coming. Crowd chanting "Let's go Doink" because heel Doink is awesome. It's been the MVP of this show throughout 1993. And the fact that Myers jumped Doink before the match implies that Doink is essentially a baby face now. Although without much of the uh, much of the catalyst for it, let's say. Yeah, because again, like I said earlier, this I feel like we've missed a couple of weeks since SummerSlam. I know we've only missed the one because of Labor Day, but <clears throat> I feel like we've missed a couple of weeks because we've had so many things that have just appeared, including like a sort of sort of pseudo face doink. Who last time we saw him was beating up Bret Hart. Yeah, and and they they made the decision to turn him babyface because I mean he was over, but then like Randy Orton in two thousand four, they got rid of the qualities that made him cool in the first place. But is this, this definitely notable... is this definitely the the turning of Doink? Yes, it is. This is the, uh, aka the point of no return, pretty much. So two no two fun things happened in this match. One is Vince botching a promo for Silk Stockings. 
and, and even Savage he had to call him out on, on his bungling of words. And then we have a phone call from the big Hawaiian crush who we've not seen in two months. I didn't realize how thick Crush's accent was until I listened to this phone call. I always assumed he was an American guy with Hawaiian roots, but like he is full on Moana of Montanui in, the, in this phone call. <laughs> yeah, he did sound a little bit different on the phone. I'm like, this isn't like an impersonator trying to like say their crush or whatever. And I realized, well, I guess he's just like his casual speaking voice, conversational tone. You, you do hear the accent a little bit more. But there's a very interesting development at the end of this phone call when Savage does something to Crush for the first time. Crush goes, is that Macho Man Randy Savage? Vince says it is, and all of a sudden you, you hear the phone hang up. That was inc- – it was the tone in his voice as Savage spoke up. was like, hey, Crush, shuck a bra. I can't wait to see you back in the ring. And you just hear Crush. There's a pause, and Crush goes, is that Macho Man Randy Savage? And you go, well, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, it's me, brother. Hello? You heard the Dial comment. Tone. Wow. That's the yeah. most effective use of those phone-in promos I've ever heard. I loved it. And not just that, but Vince tries to play it off as like a technical issue, like a satellite issue. That's the best thing. Which, because, oh, we kind of had a technical problem. I was like, oh, my God. Because, we so haven't. Because you heard how angry he sounded. But, you know, it could have been a technical issue. That It leaves that little thought in your mind. Like, oh, maybe Crush is angry. Maybe it was just... A coincidence. Well, we're going to see very soon just how coincidental that really was. Is that Macho Man Randy Savage? Click. Oh, what's <laughs> gone on there? <laughs> well, we're going to find out very soon, aren't we? I'm, I'm suddenly... Like, do you know what? Genuinely, Crush gets a bit of a kick in over the years as being a very average guy, just in general. <laughs> but <laughs> at this point... I'm really into Crush. Like this, the, like his size, his look is very distinctive, and this has added so many new shades mm-hmm. to Crush. This one bit. Well, here's a little teaser for you. Five shows from now, you'll see Crush cut the promo of his lifetime. <gasps> I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm, I'm on the Crush train at this point. If he never passed a six and a half at any other point in his career, then this is this is the anomaly ten that shows up. I'm excited. This, he should he should be a world champion based on that one promo, but a loss. So Dwayne pins Myers with the whoopee cushion. Dwayne goes under the ring and pulls out a new bucket. He starts teasing the fans with it. Keenan gets up from the table in his wonderful peach colored jacket. He, he he takes his good friend Dwayne and tries to convince him to, to throw it on Vincent Savage. Dwayne teases it. And he turns around and, and acts like he's going to throw it on Bobby Heenan. Crowd wants that. Heenan begs off. Twinkie's like, I'm not going to do that, and just hugs him. Turns around, goes back to Vincent Savage, then turns again and throws all the water on Bobby Heenan, including the front row of the, of the crowd there, including Francine, who I'm pretty sure Twink was probably aiming for, because Twink's a smart clown. Huge pop as well. Oh, and it got a major pop. Big reaction he- for Doink doing this. He is staggering around ringside. He slips and falls in front of the commentary table. Vince is trying to hand him a towel. Savage keeps pulling it away. Savage is a jerk. Oh, that was it. As he was handing him the towel, every time he went to grab it, he pulled it up. And then Heenan starts 
pratfalling around the ring because it's slippy. And Bobby Heenan is brilliant. This reminded me of Bobby Heenan when he was in those weasel suit challenges with the Ultimate Warrior, where if he <laughs> lost, he'd have to wear a weasel suit. And he'd always put on this weasel onesie, and he would just be flopping around the ring like he never, like he never knew how to walk. And it was just a wonderful visual. Bobby Heenan, Bobby Heenan was was a wonderful slapstick comedian among being a very witty individual. He was the Buster Keaton of pro wrestling. That's a good shout. That that is a good mm-hmm. shout. And, and Bobby Heenan was always always reliable for that laugh. Always wanted to make an ass of himself just to get something over and. He was the best at it. The best people in wrestling are the ones that are willing to sort of check that dignity at the door a touch to get something across. And if you have the skill to pull it off, then that's even better because at least you, at least you get respected you know, years later for looking like the fool. Exactly. So we wrap up the show here. Doink has another bucket. He runs out. He throws confetti on the crowd and runs off again because he's a happy clown now. And I wrote, damn it all. So this is it now. This is the beginning of... Of good guy doing. Yes, and I also added oh. R.I.P. Doink's awesome music. What a shame! Because now, because now we have the generic happy music that he's had ever since. Screw it. I think if you look across the wrestling history, uh, times where a bad guy has turned into a good guy. And it hasn't quite worked. There is no finer example of this than taking an evil clown and making him into a good clown and expecting that aura and that fan support to stay. That's very naive. Just to pull to another level, any character whose character is contingent on them being evilly cool when they're all of a sudden like a nice guy, it just isn't the same. It doesn't work that's, at all. That's why Austin worked because he was still, you know, he was he was still a beer drinking badass when he turned face. He maintained he, he was, that that evilness. Well, not so much evilness, just orneriness. Mm-hmm. He was he was still Stone Cold Steve Austin at the end of the day. So Vincent Savage wrap it up. We we have the we have the promotional consideration for the King of the Ring video game. Oh, I looked into this a little bit. And you know what? Video, it's, it's a tough one. They're getting better these days, thanks to DLC and stuff. Video games, wrestling video games are a bit more <laughs> up to speed. But you, did you see the roster lineup for this one? I had the game. Oh, so you know how ridiculously out of date this is. The fact that in the, in the height of pushing your new superstar, super champion, All-American Lex Luger, this game features not only Hulk Hogan, but the narcissist Lex Luger. Not only that, but it was the worst gameplay of any WF game to that point. Really? Just is it that on, bad? Go on YouTube, find Joe Gagne's Funtime Arcade review of this game. You'll see exactly what I mean. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm excited. In, a, in an era where we had Royal Rumble for Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis with Rumble matches, finishing moves, steel chairs at ringside, this is what Nintendo and Game Boy squeaked out in in the NES's final days. Well, this is LJN, isn't it? And they've they've got a bit oh of a, yes, it is. They got a bit of previous for making bad games. Uh, I've heard. Oh, they certainly have. So on next week's show, we have Bam Bam Bigelow, a hopefully happier Mr. Perfect, Erwin R. Scheister, and a Bret Hart interview, plus Scott Steiner versus Pierre. And I'll say the IRS match, it sounds like it's just going to be a squash match, 
it's a pretty relevant match. Let's put it that way. Oh, okay. I'm intrigued. I'm excited for Pierre and Scott Steiner because, as you said earlier, like this match in that match in 2019 would be phenomenal. Uh, so I'm intrigued to see how these two, <clears throat> how these two go at it in 1993. I'm expecting a pretty good match. I haven't seen it in years, but I would assume, given the two men involved, that's going to be a pretty good one. So that is to look forward to next week as we continue to chronologically critique Monday Night Raw. Um, all right, show. I feel like this this kind of is a jumping off point for lots of new things. It, it is. There's a lot of weirdness on the show as well. A lot of idiosyncrasies and some bizarre moments through the night, but definitely not a boring show by any means. Turning to watch it back, it was very entertaining. We hope you've enjoyed it as well. Do watch these, by the way, on the w they're on the WWF Network. They're all on there for you to watch. If you ever be intrigued, uh, and then just let us know what you thought of them. You can tweet at JRH Writing with any of that nonsense. You can tweet at Tom Campbell with any of that nonsense as well, by all means. And you can tweet at John Eiley if you want him to do any pictures for you, because we've um, we've we've given Photoshop John a quiet one this week. So by all means, do pester him. Yeah, please give us the uh, Bells of Bondage. I'm, I'm, I have my heart set on that one. Can we mention Can we mention that, that John might be on the show in a couple of weeks? Uh, yes, we are looking to get Mr. John Eiley as a, as a third wheel on this show in the very near future as a our way of thanking him for you know not not only his fanship of this show, but all the work that he's done. You know, just f doing just fun photoshops of all of our flights of fancy. Has a lot of Fs in one sentence there. Well, without, and a pH. Without name That's dropping. Down, without name dropping. Um, I've I've interviewed Bret Hart in the past. I am more excited about having Photoshop John on with us <laughs> than I was about interviewing Bret Hart. <laughs> I am more excited about that than Bret Hart. Photoshop John's an icon. He'll be in the celebrity wing of the Hall of Fame one day. He better be. He's in my Hall of Fame of my art, and he's going to be on this show soon. I'm very excited. He'll be on the Call of Hot Hall of Fame. I love it. Sam Driver, anyway. At JRH Writing, at Tom Campbell. Da, 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 da. Love you, bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from.